I am so pumped because today I have Jonathan Welton. We've been waiting for this interview for just the right time. Welcome, Jonathan. Thank you, Catherine. Good to be with you. Absolutely. So uh, for those of you who don't know Jonathan Welton, I don't know where you've been, but um, <laughs> but uh, Jonathan, apostle, prophet, however, uh, lots of yada yada uh, titles uh, incredible, uh, teacher r- has written numerous incredible books, has a really hot story, <laughs> uh, with a lot of sort of controversy, has been through a lot and just recently uh, started a new podcast. That's right. That's right. Um, I'm not sure when. This episode will air, but I just completed the first four episodes and uh, really recapping the last four years because I've been uh, out of public life for the last four years. And so if I go back, uh, my first book came out when I was 25 years old and I'm uh, 39 now. And so the first 10 years or so, I traveled around the world, 35 countries uh, had an online school, the Weld Academy. Um, Twenty five hundred students went through the school, uh, including me. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's wonderful. Yes, you and, didn't know that. Oh my goodness! Uh, it's hard well, to keep track of what among twenty five hundred. I don't know. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah, the the books. There's about twelve of them, and so yeah, I, I don't know if somebody's seen me from a conference, or they know me from a book, or they know me from being on Sid Roth, or from being in the school. So it, it, you know, it's hard to keep it all straight. But I I think you know me from all of those. So absolutely, <laughs> absolutely, I knew you before. Before a lot of time, kind of shortly after you did your, uh, your first book, went on Sid Roth, got all that, um, uh, publicity. Um, all your books are amazing. I, I still, I recommend your books re- regularly, Jonathan. So, um, absolutely. So I'm so excited you're here. Now you do have, you said you've been out of public life. And for those of you who, may not know what that's all about. Maybe you could give a, a, a brief recap. Sure. Yeah. So, Yeah, because I, I do go into in-depth for anybody who wants the full story, the, the four, first four episodes of the podcast go into all the detail. But really, uh, the short version, in 2017, my staff sat me down and said, you know, we have these, these issues, these concerns um, we want to address with you. I thought that I heard them, but then I didn't really do anything with what was brought to me. And I deflected, I defended, I um, blame shifted. I, I did all the classic narcissistic things. And I know we're going to get into that topic in a little bit here, but I, I, uh, it took a full year before I was then confronted by my team again uh, with uh, Danny Silk and a team of other leaders who came together and said, you are not okay. You are not healthy. You've got to stop. And so at that point in the fall of 2018, everything came to a full stop. My wife and I separated for three months. 
I went and got a counselor to work with uh, five days a week. I worked with him for three months. I went to the narcissism center. It, it, that's not, it's got a name, but I, I don't recall the name, but it was a narcissism treatment center out in uh, Washington state. Did some work with them for an intensive and, uh, oh, I, there were so many things. I just dug in really deep. Um, and so my wife and I came back together beginning of 2019. I thought things were going well and through that whole year. And then by the end of 2019, the beginning of 2020, things started to come unraveled again. And by March of 2020, I got kicked out of church. Um, my board that was supposed to be walking with me through a restoration process uh, sent out a dismal update letter saying, well, he's kept his marriage together, but he really isn't doing well. Um, what was the other thing? Oh, my staff's, my former staff members started writing blogs, um, just kind of exposing blogs, which they're part of the challenge is they weren't feeling heard through the whole process. And so it was good for them to actually bring to light some of those, those feelings, those feelings of being overlooked and, um, having not really been able to deal with their own grievances. And so that was, that was good. All of these things were actually good. And each one of them was a, another wake up slap for me because I thought, ah, I'm doing great. You know, we had the separation. 2019 was great. We're moving forward. And then 2020, March 2020, everything hits a brick wall again. And that's right in the middle of COVID lockdowns are just getting started and all of that's rolling out. And so everything is in chaos. It just seems like it's the toilet paper apocalypse and everything is, everything is a challenge. So in more um, ways than one. <laughs> yes. It was, my life was in chaos. Every, everything was in chaos. And so that, that, you know, it was kind of like the story was going one way and then it went back down. And so, so the four years really, um, it, the first two years were like that. And then the second two years, uh, in that same spring of 2020, I found a program that I joined uh, called the Bulletproof Husband and finally started making the changes I needed to make. Finally started addressing the real issues, doing the real work. And I realized, gosh, I, I tried so count like a dozen other things and worked really hard in each one of those modalities beforehand. But it wasn't until this program that I really started making changes. And so now it's been two years. Um, my wife and I had a second separation that summer of 2020. And by the end of the summer, her counsel, her psychologist was telling her, I've never seen changes like this before. I've worked with men for 40 years. They don't change like this. Mm -hmm. So. I think it's like a miracle and you guys should move forward. And now, yeah, we're two years down the road and, and it's tremendous. Life is, is beautiful and peaceful. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll dig into some of that, some of those changes in more detail, but that's, that's the big picture of the last four and, years. Yes. That's a great picture. 20,000 foot view. And just so you know, during this time, I was actually working a little bit with Karen. Karen's had multiple, I mean, everybody's had multiple things. And so you guys were just hurting pots. It was painful to see necessary to navigate through. And sometimes, you know, I was kind of meditating on this because you went modality, 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 nothing, nothing, nothing. 
I mean, or, but sometimes I think there are things that we can navigate through, through seasons that peel off certain things so that we can get to the thing that really helps. And so I, 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 I guess my heart is just keep on searching for what you need because God will bring you to it. And I think we can take advantage of uh, everything as we're moving through to the things that are more definitive. And I, we're, we're talking about today about narcissism. Uh, and uh, that is, you know, such an ongoing issue. We see it all over the place. Um, how, how do you define narcissism? Yeah, that's, it's a difficult question because there's like the clinical. Right. The DSM three. Yeah. Or DSM three, whatever, 12 or whatever we're on now. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But then there's the pop culture version. And, you know, if you look according to the, um, the clinical definition, you Mm -hmm. have nine different traits that you look for. And if you have more than five of the nine, Mm you are classified as a narcissist Mm -hmm. and there's a scale that they they have a test that you can do that you rate from one to 120. And so when I did it, I was like a 72 or something. So somewhere in the middle. Mm -hmm. So I landed on the scale, but not, um, full, not flaming. (laughs) Like you're on fire. So it was, it was, yeah. So it was there. It was, it was an issue, but, um, I know it's a sliding scale, but then on the pop culture version side, it seems to have exploded because if you look on the, the clinical side, they say, well, it's about 7% of men. So about, you know, one out of every 13 men, you know, would have, uh, would have more than five of these traits, but then on the pop culture side, it seems like <laughs> everybody of the guys, more than half of the men I, I talk with that that would get put in this category. And I think the social media women talking about emotional abuse, um, terms like gaslighting, stonewalling, going gray rock. Um, there's so many of these that have just become mainstream mm-hmm. that would have been uh, you know, never heard about, but now have become mainstream and people are it's become such a conversation that uh, when people say, well, I have an abusive husband, it's no longer like he sent me to the hospital. It's he is mean. He doesn't listen to me. He's uh, he yells a lot. It's it, the category is very wide now. And so and that's not to say that it shouldn't be, but it's 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 opened up so much. It's not necessarily narcissism. But right, not not all abuse is narcissism, you know, and not everything's abusive. Uh, you know, we as human beings, we're commanded to love as he loves. And, you know, a lot of times we do a really crappy job. It's just this is why we need a savior. <laughs> Might be. Uh, I had a friend who, who, who said a while ago, he was like, well, abuse is ab use, which mm-hmm. is abnormal use. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you have a wife and you're mistreating her, that's. Mm-hmm abnormal use of your wife that's abuse so i mean the the category is huge and and so yes narcissism is one piece of it but it seems to be a very common piece for men and one of the one of the things that this was um i found this book to be really interesting it's called disarming the narcissist Mm -hmm. it's more of a clinical Mm -hmm. book itself it's not like who's that by 
Um, I think it's two authors. No, it's got two forwards. <laughs> Wendy Bahari, B-E-H-A-R-Y. Okay. And, uh, what they, what they lay out this concept in this book that was very insightful because what happens so often is we put somebody over in a category like you are a narcissist and we kind of alienate ourselves from that. And uh, especially the guys who are hearing from their wife or their girlfriend, oh, you're a narcissist, oh, you're a narcissist, uh, they feel othered. And the guy then wants to defend and argue against it. Mm-hmm. But what the book actually laid out is the fact that everybody is born. Well, it's a developmental stage. Go ahead. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So if we think of it like a sliding scale, when you're an infant and you're crying and screaming in the middle of the night because you want your diaper changed or you want to eat, you don't care about the feelings of the people around you. Other people's needs do not matter. They are there for you. (laughs) There is no empathy going on here. And so you're at that end of the scale, you're a zero or a one. Mm -hmm. But as you mature, you learn to share, you learn to interact with other children, you learn through these growth experiences, you move up the scale and maybe you're a three, maybe you're a four. And maybe at the far end of the scale, you know, number 10 is the Mother Teresa or a, um, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. And you have, you know, the, the ultimate empathetic mm-hmm. end of the scale. And most people will, will grow to like an eight or, or so over the course of their life. Mm-hmm. But, uh, what happens with the narcissist is some sort of a trauma in the childhood that causes them to get stuck at a lower number. So here you have a 30 something year old man who's very smart, but emotionally got stuck at uh, four or five on this growth scale. And so when you actually are able to do the work to deal with that childhood trauma, then they can move up the scale to catch up with the rest of the people at seven, eight, nine in that grouping. And so when we alienate people, when we other them, when we put them in this category uh, as like unfixable and we put them in that box, we're doing them no favor. We're literally just saying, well, you're, you're a three, you're a four and that box can never move and it never moves up. So we might as well just put you in that box rather than actually, yeah, you're in that box right now. Here's what needs to be done to move out of that box. And that, I think that's one of the challenges, even in the clinical field, uh, there was a, one of the books I came across is called the Pandora problem, Pandora, the Pandora paradox. And it's a book about narcissism and specifically inside the church. And one of it brought to the surface was that they are actually telling counselors nowadays, don't even work with narcissists because they don't get better. Don't even bother. Don't put your time into this. Rather than actually training them what to do, Thank they're you. training them to avoid them. <laughs> so yes. this problem is only growing because they're being thrown into the category of you cannot fix this. And that's a, it's that's kind of a, what happens when we condemn people. When, when you're condemned, you cannot grow. You're just condemned. Mm. There's no condemnation in Christ. So there's a diagnostic thing like there are real issues. Houston, we have a problem, serious issues. Okay. So now what do we do? So it's diagnostic, 
because God's there to heal, not condemn. Right. And so we, in order to heal, we have to point out what the issues are. And if a label is helpful in clarification, good, but that's a label on your way to being unveiled as to who you were created to be your original design. And that's a healing issue. And to say that it's not possible to heal leaves out the Jesus factor and leaves out modalities that may not, um, like be like, hi, I'm a Jesus modality, but it's really a Jesus modality, right? And so, right, he moves through the secular a lot and you found resources to help. And I, I'm really excited that we're going to be talking about that because people do feel that way. Um, and, um, now, you know, yeah. So, well, I'll just, sorry. I was, I, I, my mind was going 12 places of where we could go. Um, yeah. But is, is that, is that, would you say that's fair to maybe I, I said that wrong. So clean it yeah, up for me. <laughs> I would say, yeah, that, that is very much where, where people are left in condemnation and in sort of a hopeless diagnosis. Yeah. Um, and it's it's unnecessary. It's kind of mm-hmm. like if we go back to some of these diseases that maybe we didn't used to know how to fix. Right. And, oh, it's incurable. No, right. it's not incurable. You just haven't figured out how to cure it yet. Exactly. And so now, you know, even the idea of narcissism as a psychological label is, is only, you know, 50, 60, 70 years old. It's really not been around for thousands of years. We would have called it other things over the years or never called it anything. It's just, well, that person is, you know, they're a really strong leader. They're abrasive. They don't care about people's feelings. They, you know, we would have called them a mean name or something, but they, we wouldn't (laughs) have labeled them as a psychological disorder, um, the way that we do now. And because of that, you know, it, it doesn't get dealt with and it can actually be addressed. And that's, that's where we want to go with this is that there's hope that there is hope if you're, and it, it's challenging because even when I throw out uh, some of my story or I share some hope on, mm-hmm. on social media, I will get responses from people that are all over the board. And one of the ones that's yeah. always surprising to me is women who don't want to hear that there's hope because Oh, you're going to put somebody in danger. They're going to stay in some abusive situation because they just got hope that their husband, their man is going to change. Mm-hmm. And now you've given them hope and they're going to stay in some abusive, dangerous situation. Hope in hope and stupidity are two different things. I want people to have hope, but also good boundaries. So mm-hmm. if you're in a situation where you're in danger, your children are in danger. Make wise choices, put up boundaries, get out of there or kick him out, depending on how volatile the situation and, and do what you need to do to be safe while having hope that with the right, the right approaches, he can actually change. And it's usually at this point that, uh, men will raise their hand and say, well, women can be narcissists too. Yes. They can, and there's a much, much smaller percentage of women that are narcissists. So it's not as large of an issue, statistically or culturally speaking. Um, there's other issues. There's bipolar. There's borderline personality disorder. There's other things that tend to be more on the female side than on the male side. 
Um, narcissism just happens to be larger on the male side. Mm -hmm. So, uh, we're, you know, talking in generalities here. Uh, but you know, typically when we, yeah, yeah, when we think narcissism, we typically are uh, experiencing men being narcissists. Mm -hmm. So. Really interesting. So, you know, it was interesting when I, I knew you before all this came out. Um, this is not how I would have pegged you. Now, I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't part of the, the system where all this stuff was happening. Um, but you know, that's not really how you presented except for kind of in the internal side. Let me ask you though, um, in your internal world, your struggle, your lifelong Hell on wheels struggle. What was that like for you internally? Yeah. And I, I, I recognize that challenge of like, uh, you know, a lot of people had that at the beginning. Yeah. You're a narcissist. I don't know about that. Um, and that, that does come from the challenge of narcissism itself is pretty broad. Even mm-hmm. they say there's four different kinds. And so I'd fall under the category that would be called a covert narcissist mm-hmm. yeah uh, which is a very christian form of being a narcissist especially right. if you're a pastor a leader something like that it's it's very conducive to being a covert narcissist um, so. mm-hmm. i know many many pastors that are covert narcissists and until they get confronted they're going to keep being covert narcissists okay. and and they know how to work the system so they're mr nice guy but anyway, um, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. So for, for me, mm-hmm. it, it looked different than maybe the stereotype because the stereotype typically is, um, we think of Dr. House on TV, for example, you know, here's this brilliant, arrogant, you know, condescending, talks down to everyone around him kind of personality. And then, wow, that guy is completely self-absorbed narcissist. And that was not how people experienced me and yeah. in, in general. And so. Um, the covert is much more self-protecting, manipulative, trying to get their needs met in indirect ways, which is a, a good definition of manipulation and not being direct and clear. And so uh, for me, I, I, I remember saying it many times over the years before uh, before everything came out to the light and before I had insight into narcissism, uh, the way that I felt inside and outside were so different that I felt on the outside, like people saw me or experienced me like I was strong and solid and confident, um, and humble, this yeah. smart, mm-hmm. humble, um, kind. There were, there were all of that on the outside, mm-hmm. but I said on the inside, I actually felt like Woody Allen. And I, I don't know if that, you know, if everybody knows who I mean, but they're, you know, you think of, uh, if you've ever seen him as an actor, he's just right. sort of, you know, Mr. he's always, Mr. Insecurity. Mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's like a very awkward to watch insecure, shaky kind of person and, um, or Barney Fife in the shakiest gun in the West, you know, he's just <laughs> always, that's how I felt inside. And I never would have pegged it as anxiety or narcissism or like, I didn't have a name for it just as much as I'm like, I don't feel safe. I don't feel like my needs are met. I don't feel solid inside. I, 
I don't feel as confident inside as I know that I am outside. Presenting outside. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I have to build up all this, uh, be really smart, know the answers to everything, be able to argue every point, all of that for the outside, because I know inside I don't feel solid. And I feel on the inside like I'm walking on eggshells, which the irony is my wife would say is she felt like she was walking on eggshells all the time. I would have said, and did say many times the same thing. I feel like I'm walking on eggshells all the time. Yeah. So we both had that dynamic going on. And so, yeah, that, that incongruence between inside outside is very, uh, is very typical for narcissists, but they're usually, um, not, com not totally self-aware of the disconnect between the two. Um, now people really close to them can see it and they can see like, you're, you're wearing a giant mask. There's a huge facade that you have on and you're not the same inside as outside. And so that, that was my experience of it for sure. Sure. And, 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 and as I've, in my experience with working with narcissists and things, um, you know, very often the defense mechanisms we have, um, hyper, cerebral, you know, uber smart, uber, uber intellectual. Um, that's actually, uh, my past, uh, with, uh, with my father. He was, uh, I would call him a flaming narcissist. Um, or in the church, we can go hyper spiritual, right? And so we have all these defense, these, these, these safe places we go to because this feels safe, but genuine heart connection, genuine, empathy, uh, not there. Is that, are you, is that feel relevant to your experience? Yeah. And it was, it was interesting when I went, one of the places that I went before I found Bulletproof Husband was a brainwave therapy called Saraset. And they, they hook all these electrodes up and they, they pick up on the frequencies going through your brain. They put it through a computer play it back to you through earbuds so your brain is hearing itself in real time. And when it hears itself, it starts to make corrections. Um, a friend of mine described it like if you'd been shaving your face in the dark for years and then one day somebody turned the light on and you realized, oh, I've missed all these spots because I had a way of doing it, but I've never been able to see. So your brain hears itself and goes, that's not right. So when I went and had this done, I asked about that specifically about empathy, because that's one of the biggest things that people say regarding narcissists is that the empathy center of the brain, it is shut down or de deficient or something. Undeveloped. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. And so, so they checked it and they said, no, there's nothing wrong with your empathy. But what's happened here is your fight or flight mechanism has been on like full blast, probably since early childhood. Yeah. And, because of that, people don't experience their empathy. So I felt empathy inside myself, but it never made it across the table to the other person. And wow. so they didn't feel my me being empathetic, but inside I, my heart would break for people. And mm -hmm. so, yeah, there was there was definitely really a weird disconnect of they didn't experience the empathy, but I was having the empathy. And so through, through the brainwave therapy, that actually began to shift some of that. Um, so that's great. Yeah. That, 
That was wild. Yeah. So I'm I'm including, and I I took notes from your podcast on uh, recommendations of books and modalities. I'm going to list it in the notes so that people, because you know we are interested in like, okay, what what is the help? Uh, so I already took notes on that. So Sarah, that was one of those. One thing I did want to highlight from what you were telling us here is that you're inside your flight or fight, this way of being that had been there pretty much your whole life because of very legitimate trauma that you had been disconnected from, right? That was so buried uh, that, um, and that was one of the reasons why the empathy was there, wasn't felt on the other end. So um, tell us a little more, uh, you mentioned, and let's, we'll just skip to that, the bulletproof husband, um, because you had been through so many different modalities, um, including some awesome ones, but it wasn't effective for you. Um, so help us a little bit skim through that. And then to talking about some of the modalities that were actually truly effective for you. So, and I'll mention too, cause we, we hear the phrase quite often fight or flight mm-hmm. and, um, there's more options than that. And people don't realize this. Hallelujah. That when you get married, right? <laughs> more negative options, I'll mention. Oh, more and negative. Okay. Well. Yeah. Okay. But most people think, okay, you get triggered, you go into defense mode, and you fight, mm-hmm. or you flight, you run away. Mm-hmm. But there's also freeze and okay. fawn. Okay. And, and those, I, I, I was a freezer. Mm-hmm. So when we'd get in an argument, Karen and I would get in an argument about something, yeah. I wouldn't fight as much as I, and I wouldn't run away as much as I would shut down. That was my number one go-to is freeze. And of course the label that people use for that now is stonewalling and they make it like this, like you're stonewalling. And for the guy who is freezing, he feels like he's under complete attack and assault. And I was just trying to walk up around here and not get beat up and not get in trouble and not get screamed at. So now I'm shut down. And so the freeze mode and the fourth one is fawn. And that you don't almost never hear about that concept. And it's the idea that when somebody's coming uh, in an aggressive manner toward you, you actually begin to fawn over them and come back toward them. It's like extreme codependence. Like, oh, I'm so sorry. Let me take care of that for you. And you go into like this extreme subservient mode defense mechanism. And so you'll see that with like real sort of placate. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like deeply abused, uh, women, you might see this kind of situation, mm-hmm. you know, like a extreme fawning to try to bring safety back to the situation. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's more options. I was a freezer and, um, I through the other modalities. And like, like you said earlier, I, it's not to say, None of them helped me. I would say they each put some drops in the bucket along the way. You know, there were different pieces. I went, uh, I spent six months going to um, weekly meetings at Sexaholics Anonymous. I originally was looking for like a Narcissist Anonymous, but apparently they don't meet up and I couldn't find a group like that. And so I said, where am I going to find honest men who are willing to be vulnerable? I'll go to that group. Right. Yeah. So that went that direction. Um, and that was great for finding a, a support group of, of men who would be honest. And so yeah. that was a help. Uh, meeting with a one-on-one counselor and 
learning to talk about my feelings was helpful. There was some real help there. Um, the brainwave therapy, it, one of the things that it did for me is it started bringing back memories that I had just totally lost track of. Cause whenever I would sit down with a counselor, I was like, I don't really remember hardly anything before the age of 12. And I mean, maybe a handful of memories, like walking down a sidewalk with my cousin. Like that was the extent of like, oh, that was the year that you were five to seven, somewhere in there. And so I started having dreams. I started having all this stuff come back. Uh, I was calling my younger sister. She's confirming, yep, that happened, that happened, that happened. I can't believe you forgot this. <laughs> and I mean, really so, severe stuff, right? Very traumatic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very much. Um, lots there's, of, there lots was a reason physical. it got blocked out. Yeah. Yeah. My mm-hmm. body was definitely trying to help me. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, lots of physical abuse, a lot of emotional, mental abuse. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, it had been, it had just been pushed down, buried, mm-hmm. and I moved on. And I, I now can see like that's where I got stuck on the scale between one and 10 is in, you know, that, that younger category. So the brainwave therapy was really good for kind of getting me unfrozen and melting it, block, you know, pulling the blockage out of the way. But I don't know that long term it would have made the changes I needed. And that's that's where the Bulletproof Husband came in, because it's kind of like one was setting the bone and Bulletproof Husband was the physical therapy. And so when the physical therapy came in, it was, okay, now we're going to actually help you rebuild yourself as a man, become who you were always meant to be and how to step into that. And so the, the original, um, you know, the other things led to that and they all were contributors. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the unique piece that really was different, um, and there's, there's so many, but I'll, I'll say one of the biggies is that it's, it's called bulletproof husband. It's not the bulletproof marriage. They work with men to help men become who they are meant to be. They don't know whether your marriage is going to survive. Your wife can make whatever choice she's going to make. Uh, but at the end of the day, are you being the man you always wanted to be? Are you being the man that you want your son to be when he grows up? Are you being the man you'd want your daughter to marry? And with those motivations ahead of you, you keep you can keep a man working, you know, he's just watching, well, I'm doing this, but my wife's not working on herself or she's not doing that. Um, most men will very quickly throw in the towel right. out of feeling like a victim, right. feeling like it's not all at fault and she's to blame too and all that stuff mm-hmm. instead of you've got to do this for yourself because you're not being the man you always wanted to be. Mm-hmm. You're not being the man you want your son to be when he grows up and you're not being the man you'd want your daughter to marry. And with those anchors in front of me, and I have three young daughters, I knew I'm not being the man I'd want them to marry. And so I have a very good, strong motivation that's clear in front of me. And one of the biggest differences is that they do work with men that's different because I I remember one of the books I read talked about that in California alone, the, the field of therapy and counseling was 90% female. So counselors, therapists, psychologists, everything you're going to go to 90% female. Mm -hmm. 
So it's female dominated. And the challenge there is men and women are different. I know it's not a popular message in 2022, but you know, we used to understand this for the first many thousands and thousands of years until we got confused in America. But yes, men and women are different. And we have men, we have 17 times the testosterone of a woman in our body. We are hormonally built different. We are biologically, physiologically, everything is different. And that contributes to how we react to uh, experiences. Mm -hmm. So when, when a woman has an experience and she takes it in, she's going to then process it and then want to process it verbally. And, you know, the studies, they, the twice as many words per day and all of that, they verbally process what they've experienced. Yes. And we usually, we stop there and we say, well, that's how they work and men don't. And that's not how men work. Mm -hmm. The other side of how men work is we process it physically. And if you go back, we have thousands of years where let's say that um, the tribe, you know, the women are, are home in the village, they're washing the clothes, they're cooking the food, they're doing everything they do. And the men go off in a hunting party and they now are going to take down a saber-toothed tiger or a lion or a woolly mammoth. They're going to work together and yeah, it's going to be scary. And yeah, your, your, you know, friend is going to get, you know, stuck with a, elephant tusk or whatever and there's all this fear and tension that you experience that you're going to have to suppress as the man it's actually part of the strength of a man is that you can suppress that fear Mm -hmm. temporarily compartmentalize it Mm -hmm. but you got to deal with it yeah and what we've stopped dealing with it so dealing with it in that scenario is you've killed the animal now the end of the day you're cooking it over the fire you do a war dance around the fire, you jump, you shake, you shake your body out, and you get all of that out of your nervous system. So the the male system actually has to physically emote its feelings, whereas the female verbally emotes her feelings. Mm-hmm. And they're, they work totally different. So for a guy to go sit in some therapist's office for a 100 bucks an hour and talk for an hour and go... That didn't do anything for me. Well, no, it really didn't do anything for you. But there is a way that works for the masculine to actually go get those emotions out physically. And and if you got stuck with those feelings at five years old when you're being controlled and screamed at and all of that, and you got stuck there, those those feelings, you're going to carry them 30, 40, 50, 60 years forward you've got to let them out at some point. And that's, that's the, a lot of the work that gets done in this, um, in this program and in many men's programs now are getting a hold of, we've got to actually let this out. Now this can sound evolutionary. It can sound spooky. It can sound secular, but for me, being a theologian, I can always connect the dots when I see something. And so for me, that doesn't actually make it, make it wrong. (laughs) <laughs> right. Yeah. Hello. There's truth yeah. in a lot of different venues. Yeah. So keep, keep going. This sure. is, I, I think this is so, I'm so, this makes me so happy to hear you say it because it helps give men who generally haven't had an avenue 
to uh, connect with those emotions. Um, we don't want to feminize them, right? We th- th- so there there really is a difference. And viva la difference. They, but it needs everything. So it, it needs an outlet. Now, is that what you're talking about? Because obviously, I haven't gone through the bulletproof husband program. Have sent people there. Have looked at it. Heard about it. But um, when you're talking about removing the bullets, um, is that is that what you're talking about? Ish. Yeah. <laughs> Powerful metaphor that they use. And I'll, yeah. I'll, um, I'll come to that in just a moment. Okay. So let me, let me bring this back for anybody who's stuck on the idea of, uh, of the nervous system and anger and letting out feelings and stuff like that. Because even Christian men who joined the Bulletproof husband will struggle for a while yeah. with the idea of, I'm supposed to let out anger that just seems scary and dangerous. And like, we're so out of it, out of touch with what to do with anger. Anger is so, um, it's just a thing kind of demonized. Yeah. 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 And when it's actually a part of what you need to do as a man to actually get those feelings out. So for me, the, the dots connected when I look at, um, Ephesians four, where Paul says, be angry, do not sin, do not let the sun go down on your wrath, and do not give a foothold to the devil. There's three parts to that. So the be angry and do not sin, I see that as be angry, but be responsible with it. So be angry and sinning is you're going to go and take it out on your wife. You're going to go out and take it out on your kids. You're going to go take it out on your friends. Take it out on yourself. Yeah. I absolutely. So that, that sinning is being irresponsible with it. Yeah. Being responsible with it is get in a car, go to an empty parking lot at, you know, 12 at night and blast whatever music you need to blast and try to rip the steering wheel out of your car and actually be responsible and let the feelings out. And then he said, don't let the sun go down on your wrath, meaning don't suppress those feelings. Don't bottle them up. Don't crush them down. You're not supposed to be carrying it from day to day to day. It's you've had the feeling. Don't let the sun go down on it. Get it out. So he's telling you, take that anger, go get it out. And then the third is don't give foothold to the devil. Well, the foothold is if you're suppressing those feelings, you are creating footholds for the devil. When you suppress it rather than deal with it responsibly, you're creating a foothold. And in the program, you know, it's, it's not a Christian program. It, they have lots of Christians in the program and, and some of the leaders are Christians, but it's secular for everybody kind of program. They, they would call those footholds bullets. And so instead of Christian lingo, like we have of footholds, the idea of a bullet is just a metaphor. Mm -hmm. And what happens is you give yourself bullets. It's not that, Mm -hmm. oh, I was traumatized by my mom. And so she gave me a bullet. No, Mm -hmm. you may have had a horrible experience when you were a kid. Let's say Mm -hmm. you're five years old and your teacher stands you up, has you come up to the whiteboard to write out a word. You misspell it. All the kids laugh at you. She says, nope, you're wrong. Go back to your seat. And your brain, you say to yourself, oh, this happened because I'm stupid. 
and gave yourself a bullet. You've now given yourself what's called the stupid bullet. And now you will compensate, overcompensate for that for decades, carrying around deep inside, I'm stupid. So what is somebody who's said to themselves, I'm stupid, what do they do? Well, they make sure that they go out and they get an associate's, a bachelor's, a master's degree, and a doctorate. They write 12 books, and they travel all over the world, and they start an online school, and they do everything else that somebody would do if they deep down think they're stupid. Because they have to prove, I'm not stupid. Look how smart I am. I'm not stupid. Because there's this five-year-old inside there who still is telling that person, you're stupid. And there's many of these. I mean, there's there's about nine main ones that have names as far as how we compensate. Um, men who are very controlling, very manipulative. Um, maybe they work out a lot at the gym. They do other things to be strong. They have a weak bullet. It's the opposite of what you're seeing. So if you're seeing the the hyper intellectual mm-hmm. has a stupid bullet. Right. If you see the the hyper strong, mm-hmm. they have a weak mm-hmm. bullet. If they're super successful and they everything they do, they're just going after it. They're a winner. Right. They actually are telling themselves they have a loser bullet. Yeah. They're a loser. So these these all have two sides to them. Now, when you actually get back into that place of the five year old who said to himself, "I am stupid." Mm-hmm. And you deal with those feelings, you let those feelings out and you, you pull that bullet out. That adult is still smart. They still have their doctorate degree. They still have all their knowledge. They still have all their things they accomplish, but they're no longer driven and controlled by the pain of the bullet. So it changes things quite a bit. So I, I, I think back to really having been driven by some of the main ones for me, obviously stupid bullet. I was referring to myself a little bit there. Um, but the, the weak bullet was probably the largest one, uh, feeling weak, uh, in my childhood with, um, my mom, my two older, my two sisters, uh, my brother, my dad, just the, the dynamics there weak was probably the biggest thing I told myself about myself. And so in that situation, weak was the biggest. Another one is, uh, we call it the evil bullet. And if you have the evil bullet, you're telling yourself I'm evil. Um, then you're overcompensating by trying to act and look at and be perfect. And so you're, you're going to make sure that everything is never offensive and everybody accepts what you have to say and you never swear and everything's perfect and perfect. And instead of I accept me for who I am, this is who I am process. Yeah. Take it or or leave it. That's your choice. (laughs) And, but the evil bullet, you know, you think you're evil. And so you're trying to compensate by looking perfect and good all the time. Mm -hmm. So, the loser bullet, I had that. I had the weak bullet, the evil bullet, um, stupid bullet. Those were all really driving, uh, my, my whole adult life. And I felt driven around by them. And it's always maybe I will feel what I want to feel when I publish the next book. Then maybe people will see that I'm smart. I mean, there was one point I remember looking into going to get another doctorate, but I was going to get this one through a denominational seminary because then it would have accreditation 
because then it would be more legitimate than the school that I got my doctorate from, which didn't have as much accreditation to it. And then, and it just kind of set in at some point. I was like, no, no, there's always going to be an internet troll who's going to come along and be like, (laughs) you can go to the right denominational school or whatever. And it's like, whatever, like, this is ridiculous. So, but I didn't have an answer at that point. I just kind of gave up uh, trying to reach that, goal, that pinnacle that will finally make me feel smart or something. What are some of the other bullets? That's really interesting because I know people are going to maybe start to identify a little bit. Do you you remember, remember what they are? Yeah. Yeah. I'll try off the top of my head here. Sorry, I put you on the spot. Weak and loser and evil and stupid. Those are are four that I really related with. Mm -hmm. And then there's um, weird, ugly, different. And so it feels like an outsider. So then they, um, some of the overcompensation from that could be like a, um, I think Katy Perry could be a great example. You know, somebody who's now going to be make weird and different, uh, her whole lifestyle, her whole Lady right. Gaga, like right. exaggerate it to be accepted and loved by everybody mm-hmm. because I feel like a weird, different outsider. Um, another one is uh, the burden bullet. Now, most pastors have the burden bullet, and because they they felt as a little kid like, I'm uh, not valuable, I'm not appreciated, I'm a burden to my family, now I have to make up for that by helping everybody yeah. all the time, give, 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 to show that I'm valuable, right. to show that I'm worthy of appreciation. And we can hyper-spiritualize that, right? right. Oh, a- mm-hmm. All of these, yeah, absolutely. Hyper-spiritualize, yeah. And well, and that I came across a term in this whole journey that has been so helpful is called spiritual bypassing. And what happens with spiritual bypassing is that we take, we take these things, everything we're talking about is in the emotional realm. Mm -hmm. And what people do is they take it over into the spiritual realm Mm -hmm. and try to fix everything in the spiritual realm. And let's say, for example, that I was 400 pounds of fat. And I'm going to spiritually bypass it. Well, I'm going to declare my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And I, I'm going to just keep declaring things over my body while I eat my Doritos and drink my Mountain Dew all day. (laughs) I'm just going to declare that my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And when you do that, you're, you're bypassing what actually needs to be done for your physical body in that realm, in that domain of your life to take care of it responsibly and trying to fix it with a spiritual solution. We do that with the body. We do that with finances. You know, I'm in a hundred thousand dollars of student debt and I'm going to just declare that I have all the riches in the heavenly places and I'm going to declare you know, financial breakthrough. And we're trying to spiritually bypass when you need to sit down with a financial advisor. And you need to sit down with a physical trainer and fix it. And in the same way with emotions, we try to bypass it with spiritual solutions. I'm just going to declare things over my marriage. I'm going to fast and pray. I'm going to, we do all the spiritual stuff instead of, you need to figure out how, how to stop being an asshole. Like that's ruining your marriage. Like that's the real problem here. <laughs> that's, I talk to guys all the time and the more spiritual 
lingo they're using about their marriage, the more I know, like, this woman does not feel heard. She does not feel seen. You've got your head so far in spirituality that you're not taking care of your emotional realm relationship with her or yourself. You're avoiding your emotions. You're not dealing with your emotions. You're just trying to be more spiritual. Speak in tongues more, fast more, try to do all these things. And I'm all for or have a prophetic being, encounter or I mean, you know, whatever. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Throw scripture and at it. Mm-hmm. There can be crossover. So I'm not mm-hmm. against the idea. Absolutely. Like the Lord will talk to you. He can give you strategy, he can give you a mm-hmm. dream, he can give you insight, all of that for any one of these. And he can give you, you know, Hey, don't work with that financial advisor. You get the check in your spirit. Like that guy's going to, you know, sink all your money or, that physical trainer is going to injure you. You know, you can get that. But when, when this becomes the primary thing that you shove everything through, you're probably avoiding really dealing with the others. And I, I think of it this way. We talk about, we hear people talk about America has a mental health crisis. I don't think we have a mental health crisis as much as we have an emotional health crisis. Yes. We're calling it mental because mm-hmm. people are in their head trying to fix themselves Right. when it's actually emotional health that has to happen. Absolutely. And the church is trying to fix it through spiritual means mm-hmm. and the world is trying to fix it through mental or pharmaceutical answers. Mm-hmm. And it's really the emotional realm that Thank has you. to be done. Oh my goodness. Preach it. Thank you. That's <laughs> so good. You know, you can't receive help when you don't know actually what the problem is. And if you throw uh, the wrong solution at the, pro- you don't know what the problem is, or you throw the wrong solution, your problem's not going to get fixed. And, uh, and you know, God, God, um, is relentless as, as truth in confronting us so that we're actual truth tellers. So he mirrors back to us, no, this is not what the really, your heart issue is this. And so inviting Jesus in the process, but they're just going to say, you know what, honey, um, this is, this is the lie, the bullet you, you, you've, uh, developed or whatever. I'm using the lingo wrong, I'm sure. Um, and, uh, and causing us to confront those things. So for the purpose of healing it. So he doesn't leave you stuck. Um, so, uh, wow, we are almost, we are just, ooh, we're at, almost at the top of the hour. I, I feel like we just got warmed up. <laughs> Oh my goodness. This was, um, so good for someone who's recognizing themselves or maybe, uh, recognizing a spouse or, you know, whatever. And understandably, if you're a woman watching this or saying, yeah, this is my husband, you know, there's going to be a, a way to navigate and the Lord's going to have to walk you in that. You're not called to stay in abusive. You are called to do, to do boundaries, all that kind of thing. Um, but there are people that are saying, crap, I'm tracking with that. Help them out. Where, where can they go? What can they do? Okay, so we'll, we'll talk about two different groups. Yes. So let's say email side first. So it's, it's very different advice. So on the female side, what you have to start to recognize is that he's not going to get it because you go to marriage counseling. Marriage counseling does not, not work for that. Mm-hmm. Period. Now you're going to get some comments in your comment section that says, well, you know, I'm a marriage counselor, whatever. Doesn't work for men. And 
I don't know how many people you've ever heard say, we went to marriage counseling and then our marriage got fixed and it's been wonderful. I've never heard it. I've never met that person. <laughs> Men doesn't work. And so your man is going to need something separate. Now, going to marriage counseling can be useful because for a woman, it creates a safe environment where she now feels like she can share and maybe be heard. Maybe you're with a man who does not listen and you get a third party in the room and now you finally are able to get it out. And when a man, yeah. Yeah. And when he starts doing his work on his side, the marriage counseling can be useful. Yeah. But if it's adjunctive, but not the issue for, for this particular issue. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Cause mm-hmm. otherwise that, that person ends up as a mediator of your arguments and it's not a progression forward. So for the female side, it's recognizing what's really going on, recognizing maybe there's emotional abuse taking place. Maybe he's a narcissist. Maybe he's not a narcissist. Maybe he's um, just a broken man child. And, you know, whatever, you don't have to label them to make this work, but you're going to need to set your boundaries. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to know what's acceptable and what's no longer acceptable. Um, if you are a Christian woman and you're struggling with the idea of separation, uh, you can be completely married and live in two different houses mm-hmm. while he deals, while the Lord deals with your husband. Mm-hmm. There's no issue with that. So... Go do what you need to do to get yourself in an emotionally safe, healthy place while that that communicates to him. We refer to it as getting the slap. It's the wake-up call. And most men, they won't make changes until it becomes a must. And it could be that you're 400 pounds overweight, and then you have the huge heart attack, and you go, maybe I should stop eating cheeseburgers. This is kind of how guys work until you get that slap. That's a wake up call. Most guys don't proactively make these changes. And so the slap of a separation, the slap of, and it, there's divorce. scales of what kind of boundaries you need. It could be divorce papers. It could be separation, it could be legal separation, it could be therapeutic separation. There's all the different things. There could be a nest, a nesting situation where, you know, one week at home, one week out of the home, back and forth kind of deal. There's all the options, but what that leads to is a wake up call for the man to then go work on himself. Now, typically when they get that slap, most men go into victim mode and they're blaming their finger pointing. Um, and that's where if they get into a tribe of other men, who are focused on responsibility and accountability, they can begin to challenge them. Hey, you, you're the one who led your relationship into the ditch. So you also have the power to lead your relationship out of the ditch. The picture that we use of responsibility versus playing the victim was shockingly eye-opening to me because I had heard for years that you play the victim when you get confronted I didn't know, well, what's the other option? I don't, I don't get it. I don't know what to do here. Um, and for me, their, their concept, they, they lay it out like a sliding scale that there's responsibility at one end. There's victim at the other end. Responsibility is a hundred percent victim is, is down at this end. And let's say that if you're being 
60% responsible, you're still playing 40% as a victim. So you can actually move all the way up to 95% responsible and still be 5% playing the victim. And when you start talking to another man who understands about taking full responsibility in their life, you start to hear and you start to be challenged. Oh man, I'm playing the victim and you get called out and somebody, you know, hearing you is saying you're playing the victim right there. You're blaming her. You're finding fault. And the, the challenge for most sorry men for yourself. <laughs> sorry. Yeah. The challenge for, for a lot of men is, is knowing the difference between responsibility versus uh, blame. For example, like they'll say, um, yeah, but she's the one who did this or did that. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, it's, we, we kind of approach it like if a business fails, who's responsible? Mm-hmm. Well, it's the CEO. Well, yeah, but the CFO was embezzling all the funds. Yeah, but you're responsible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but they're the one that, that, you know, crashed everything. They, they ruined the stock price. They did this and this and this. Yes, but you're responsible. And when a man can take that responsibility on, he can then lead to a new place. Mm-hmm. Now, that's not to say that she's not responsible or that they're not equals, mm-hmm. but we're equals with different roles mm-hmm. and we're equals with different uh, parts that we play in a relationship. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, people get so hung up on like, well, who's the leader? Are we co-CEOs and are we this and are we that? And at the end of the day, that's really not the point. The point mm-hmm. is, are you going to be a hundred percent responsible? Yeah. Because for a woman, it, it's just as applicable. Are you going to be a hundred percent responsible for yourself too? Right. But we speak to men. So right. when we're speaking to men, we're getting them to take that responsibility on and lead to a new place. Mm-hmm. And at some point, the wife also has to take on that responsibility. Mm-hmm. And I'll bring this full circle. I know that for me, walking through the the stages, um, I didn't even get to mention that. So there's bullets, but there's also stages. When you get the slap, you're in stage zero. And you walk the journey through stage zero, one, two, three, four. Stage four is when a woman recommits to the relationship. And then there's also stage five, which is happily ever after. So when a man is walking a relationship through stage zero to stage four, he's doing all the work. At that point, the woman has thrown in the towel. She has given up. She has looked and considered for two years, typically, before she'll ever give the slap. And so now she gives the slap. She gives up hope. She throws in the towel. And if the man will do the work, he can do all the work up to stage four And then typically the woman will have to step up and take her responsibility. And that's where Karen actually reached out and connected with you because she said to me, listen, you've done all the work to get us up to this place. I need you to do anything more right now. I need to deal with some stuff. And then she reached out and she was responsible and she worked on stuff with you. And so that, that whole thing. And I'll, I'll say that other piece for the, for the ladies side. When you give the slap, stop working on the relationship. If you, if you've gotten to the point that you need to give him the slap, it's now his responsibility to get his, his poop in a group 
and to work on himself until it's the point that you have, he's rebuilt trust. And that's the, the issue. It's a rebuilding trust. And that is a big, hard, hairy deal, but it's, it's where the money is, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. And it we, is doable. We talk, about, we talk about trust as mm-hmm. a currency. Mm-hmm. I mean, like money that mm-hmm. I said to a man just this week, I was on the phone. I said, you know, how much do you think your wife trusts you? And he said, Oh, not at all. And I said, No, no, no. It's far worse than that. If current, if trust is a currency, she's the bank. Mm-hmm. How much in debt are you? And he's like, Oh, like a million dollars in trust deficit. Like, yes. So you have to work to re earn that trust mm-hmm. back to zero mm-hmm. before you can even start to build a new relationship. And that's the level of responsibility when you get a guy to connect. Like, oh, and that's I'm huge because a lot of times they'll start working and then they'll be, okay, so do you trust me? And it's like, honey, just keep going, <laughs> you know, and yeah. right, uh, right. So, and when, when we're focused as individuals on our stuff, that's when this thing works. Um, but you're speaking particularly towards men that have that haven't had an outlet or maybe haven't been forced, confronted um, to have to own that and own their feelings and own their all of that and own their, oh, my goodness, you're not at zero. You're at negative million, <laughs> whatever, um, and getting out of that. Mm-hmm. And men don't typically even realize how much they actually want this. They want to be challenged. They want to be responsible. They want to step up. They want to be part of a masculine tribe. They want to be called out. And they don't realize, of course, it's scary at first, but they don't realize there is a deep desire that's in there to have that. Because we've had thousands of years of tribal masculine living. Then we move into the industrial age and men are going off six days a week, 12 hours a day at a steel mill together. And then we move into like 50s, 60s, and we get isolated. And men are so isolated from each other now. Mm-hmm. And it, it's a very feminine world, and exactly. you're very isolated. And it's testosterone rates have dropped through the floor, and masculinity is only considered toxic by everyone now. I, I that Last week, we had a big rainstorm. I was driving down the road, and a tree fell in front of us. I had my three girls in the van. We parked a huge rainstorm. Two other guys hop out of a truck, out of, yeah, pickup truck in front of me. We get up, we pick up the tree, we move it off the side of the road. I said, Hey, it's a win for toxic masculinity. <laughs> <Gave him a laughs> <high five. laughs> well, you know, if there's toxic ma- masculinity, that there's healthy, we're talking about being healthy. We're talking about being whole. And ultimately, God calls us to love as he loves. And and it's the holiness of wholeness, which is really what on on the Christianese side that this is about, even if it doesn't carry that verbiage. And this is a a community that makes that happen for believers, non-believers, blah, 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 whatever category. But it's a tribe of men who are healthily working out, working that out. And it's, oh my goodness, such a, such a need, uh, you know, uh, and I think for you restoring that whole masculine, masculine identity, um, is huge. I mean, it was such a, as you said, such a hole in your life. Uh, it's amazing. 
Um, how do they, um, where do they find, uh, uh, Bulletproof Husbands? Uh, how do they find you? <laughs> um, I'll mention a few of the resources yes, that um, we're going to put in the notes as well. Yes. So one is called No More Mr. Nice Guy, which mm-hmm. is by Dr. Robert Glover. He was, um, the story I've heard because he doesn't share it in the book, but he was a pastor who crashed his ministry and then went into counseling and now is one of the most recognized names in um, what they call it the manosphere. And it's, uh, <laughs> you know, men's That's thinking adorable. and concept. <laughs> and he's, he's one of the most well-known. And he, this book really lays out all the approval-seeking, pleasing, manipulative behavior that men so commonly do, which is really what, really what we're looking at when we say toxic masculinity mm-hmm. is the nice guy syndrome. Right. And oh, that book is great for understanding the issue. Mm-hmm. There's been a lot of guys I know who, when they're first told you're a narcissist, they get defensive. But then when they read the book, they go, oh, I'm a nice guy. Yes, it's basically you're a narcissist, but he relabeled it and it brilliant move. Um, so then <laughs> the second book that, that was really helpful is called uh, Extreme Ownership. And it's a book about that 100% level of responsibility. And it's written by Jocko Willink, who was um, the head Navy SEAL commander in Ramadi, Iraq. It's one of the, the most crazy war zones of the Iraq war. And he, um, I highly recommend the audiobook because you hear gunfire, tanks rumbling when he tells stories. Good. It's yeah. incredible. I mean, yeah. it's really unique. Um, and then the third one is The Way of the Superior Man which has been out for a few decades. It's it's a classic in, in men's books. Um, brilliant, brilliant, interesting book. And uh, so those those three really were for men, hands down, I think. Uh, if I can get any man to read those three, they're huge. Um, but I'll, I'll mention, oh, I thought I had a copy here with me. I'm working on, it's actually, we're really close to completing the Bulletproof Husband book which will be coming out in the first few months of 2023 and we're, we're finalizing it right now. So we're, we're getting close to the end of that. And, uh, that will be a very challenging, very in your face, um, offensive and helpful and healing book for men. And sometimes we need to be offended to actually. Get it. So we're not being offensive to be offensive. You're offending because there's no, no, I'm calling you out on your crap. <laughs> yeah. So sorry. And keep on going. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And that, that, that nice guy syndrome has gotten so much, especially in the in Christian the circle mm-hmm. that we're, we're so buried in it that we can't be direct and clear and honest with, with people. So we're not helping people. Yes. Right. And we, mm-hmm. we're so disconnected from how Jesus talked to people and mm-hmm. how, how Paul talked to people. I think That's of, right. you know, him, him talking to the Galatians about the Judaizers saying, I wish that they could emasculate themselves right. or, yeah. you know, the, the beloved idiots. Yeah. Leaders of the flesh. And, yes. um, you know, just the ways that they, he communicated so clearly. One of the ones, um, gosh, it, Jesus says he refers to Herod after he beheaded John the Baptist, his cousin. Mm-hmm. And he said, Herod, and he calls him the sly fox. Mm-hmm. 
well, we don't understand what he's saying, but that's a first century euphemism for calling him gay. Oh, and he would known as like a closet homosexual. And Jesus is like calling him a name. Like, wait a minute. Whoa, we totally missed something. Bad Jesus. Just kidding. (laughs) So I keep going. Yeah. But I mean, there was that That kind of directness, right? It needed to be said. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. We're so. We've traded out the fruit of the spirit, gentleness, for like niceness. And it's like, right. that's not, that, niceness is not a fruit of the spirit. That's manipulation. Yeah. Typically. Really good. Really good. Any other resources you want to recommend or? Uh, yeah. Those, as far as books go, I would send people those directions. And then as far as, um, their top recommendation is somebody goes to bulletproofhusband.com. And they start with, there's a 45 minute free video that they can watch that kind of lays the foundation. Um, any, uh, all the guys I've spoke with that have watched that video have gone, I feel understood. I understood more from this 45 minute video than years of counseling wow. and marriage mm-hmm. counseling, all of that. And it's really about understanding your triggers and what kind of dynamics it creates in your marriage. And so I send people that direction and I highly, strongly recommend it. I went, not only did it help our marriage, but then I became uh, their first certified coach in the program. And we have currently over 800 men going through the program. And uh, so, yeah, it's lots of wonderful fruit happening over here. That's brilliant. If people want to reach out to you directly, is there a website, an email, Facebook, however... They can reach me at CatherineToon at gmail. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be your intermediary. Sorry, I'm not signing up for that. Love you, Jonathan. <laughs> I'm, I'm very available through Facebook. That's okay. my that's your, most. where they would go. So I have yeah. that. I have that uh, on there. Okay, perfect. There, there's the website as well, so they can go to uh, JonJohnWelton.com and uh, they can reach me through that as well. Perfect. Wow. Well, this has been amazing. I'm, I, this makes me happy. Uh, men, men are in such, I, I have such a heart. I have a heart for everybody, but particularly for the way I see men hemorrhaging and just not having an outlet, uh, for that, particularly with other men, because we've just, it's our, our whole culture, as you said, has, is just, we're, messed up. <laughs> so I'm, I'm just so thrilled. Um, thank you so much. My goodness. This has been a joy. I did want to put a little plug. I did an interview a while back with Karen Welton, who was, uh, awesome. That may be helpful for some of the ladies or maybe for some of the, the guys that are like, okay, so what's the female perspective on this? Uh, definitely, um, uh, check that out as well. Um, so, uh, yeah, but thank you so much, Jonathan. This has been amazing. I knew this was going to be great. I've been looking forward to it. Thanks, Catherine. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, guys, we'll share this. Uh, someone, you know, needs this, share it to your page, share it wherever, uh, check out, uh, Jonathan's podcast. I have the link for that. More is going to be coming out. Uh, check out the Bulletproof Husband. If that's a, a venue for you, all those resources, um, you know, there's hope. It's all good. There's good stuff on the other side and, uh, just love to see it. So anyway, well, Jonathan, we will keep in touch. 
I'm gonna. I'm really excited about your new work. Uh, that's going to be amazing. We'll see what how it all how it all rolls out. Awesome. Thanks for awesome. having me, Kathy. All right. Well, thank you so much, everybody. Share and have a wonderful day. We'll talk to you soon. Bye bye. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Perspectives with Catherine Toon. For additional information and resources, please visit catherinetoon.com.